You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, In Love of Christ, from the series Growing Stronger. For more info, visit creekside.org. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I need to get right into it. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up at verse 14. Paul's under some significant pressure. Uh, Some of us probably in this room are facing some pressure right now as well in areas of our lives and things that we're facing. And Paul's under pressure. He's actually in prison, uh, not because he's a bad guy, but because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and he's, he's in this prison scenario, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, this is how I'm praying for you. And the Lord has ways, I'm so convinced, to teach us many things. And I remember a lot of things growing up. And, and the greatest things that brought security and love to my life is when I know the person loved and cared for me. Isn't that the truth for you? I mean, think about it. I, uh, <clears throat> fourth grade, I started taking coronet slash trumpet lessons. Coronet is kind of like a trumpet. And um, I wasn't very good. As a matter of fact, I was not so good that my, uh, my, my teacher was sitting there trying to help me with, I can't remember what it was, but to learn how to blow this stupid horn. And finally, he got so frustrated with me, he took his book and he just slammed it down on the ground. And, and I just felt really bad. Um, and I don't think I continued my lessons after that. And um, I felt pretty bad. I was learning math. This was, fourth grade was a bad year for me. Uh, I was learning math, and I was at home, and my dad, who chewed snuff, uh, Copenhagen, and uh, we were sitting there, and, and I was trying to learn this math concept, you know, a little fourth grade kid, and he's trying to teach me, and all of a sudden, it, uh, he just got so frustrated, he started screaming at me, and all of a sudden, all this snuff goes out of his mouth and onto my homework paper, and um, I've never liked math. I've uh, never done very, I can balance my checkbook, but that's about as far as it goes. But then I had these basketball coaches, Ed Wilkins, Jim Bear, Larry Henshaw, Tom Hardig. Um, they pushed me like crazy, but there was always this sense in them that I knew they liked me, they cared for me. And the reason they rode me so hard is because uh, I, I had a little bit of a skill set in basketball, and I think that they wanted me to get better. And so it really motivated and caused me to to become a better basketball player. And I really believe, loved ones, that the Lord teaches us and he guides us and he wants to move us out of this casual Christianity into a vibrant, supernatural life that is ultimately given to him and surrendered to him. What brings about really a, a move from casual Christianity to a love and a commitment Because, you know, if you look around, you know not everybody arrives there where they're fully committed to the things of God, where it's not casual, where it isn't all about them. What is it that motivates them? Well, I really do believe that it's when they really experience the love of God, that it moves them from this carnal, as the Bible calls it, or this casual Christianity and moves them to greater depth and greater degree in their life. And so as we're talking about this whole idea of growing stronger, I want to bring us back on Valentine's Day to be reminded of the incredible love and care of God. 
Because ultimately, that's what will motivate you. I know that that's what really, you know, was the game changer for me when I was 18 years old. And there was this realization and this revelation of God's great love for me in the midst of all my sinfulness and my brokenness and how he brought me out of that. And it really was the game changer. And I want to remind us of that today. So if you would pick it up in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. It says, for this reason, Paul's writing... He says, I bow my knees before the Father. And we talked about the fatherliness last week a little bit, and we'll touch on that again, because you've got to know that there's this Father who loves you. And he says, I bow my knee from, uh, before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Everything is systemic to heaven and to our relationship with Him. And he says, I pray. I just love this prayer. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, the weight of his life, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. The idea there of that dwell is that God would simply be at home in your life. That as we, enter, as, as, we, as we invite the presence of his spirit in our lives, that when we do that, that he would dwell. There would be this comfort. There would be this at home with God. Now, now think about what that means when he comes into your heart. When, when, you, when you're at home with somebody, you, you don't want tension. You don't want, you know, people to feel uncomfortable. You want them to be comfortable. Does God feel at home in your heart today? Is he able to go into all the rooms and just kind of sit there and go, ah, this is good. This is comfortable. Can he look around at what you would be displaying and say, yes, this feels good. This is comfortable. That's what Paul says. I pray that he would dwell. He would be at home in your heart and life, in your inner person. And that the Messiah Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what the length and the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of God's love is and to know Jesus, the Messiah's love that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he says the way that you're going to, it's kind of a, it's almost kind of that, one of those truths that's held in dynamic tension because he says, I want you to know it, but it surpasses knowledge. So he says, what I, you may not be able to comprehend it here, but what I want to make sure that you do then is that you, the word know there is the word for experiential knowledge, not data, not facts, but that somehow through your life, there would be this encounter with Jesus that you would experience his love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul wants these people, he says, I want you to really grow and I want you to mature. I want you to know Christ. I want you to surrender your life fully. I want you to give yourselves over completely to him. 
And, and it's almost this classroom experience where I want you to know and experience this, this level of the love of God that will totally change your life. And this is what I'm convinced of. If you are not convinced of the love and care of God in your life, you will stay a casual Christ follower. You will never move into the deep, deeper depths and dimensions of what God has for you until you're really convinced of a couple of things. Number one, that he really cares about you and that you become established in his love. <clears throat> never come to the place of growth and maturity in him. You'll never come there until you're convinced that God really cares about you. Isaiah says that he knows us by name. Isaiah said it this way, that not only does he know us by name, but literally our names are engraved in the handprints of, of God. And, and if you don't believe that and, under, and begin to allow that to seep into the deep places of your soul, you'll never be able to move forward in the things in the life of God. God has never made a person that he didn't love. He made you, so he loves you. This is what Psalm 103, 13, and 14 said, that God is like a father, tender and sympathetic. He knows that we're simply dust. Notice what it says there. He doesn't say that he's a judge. He doesn't say he's a policeman. He doesn't say that he's a drill sergeant, but he's kind of like this perfect father that he cares about us and we're created to have a relationship with him, not simply enter into a religion. And see, that's where so many people get, they struggle, is they come to church and they think, I want to just kind of get this, I want to get this little dose of religion and kind of get this inspiration for the day. And God says, no, 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 no. I have a relationship that I want you to enter into. How many of you thought when you had kids that your kids would probably grow up close to perfect? I mean, you know how good you are. You look in there and go, I'm not that bad. I mean, you know, I'll be able to deal with them and, and you know, they'll probably be pretty good. And sometimes some of our kids, they can, they, can, they can quickly go south. See, when God created us, he knew every sin that we commit, every dumb decision that we make, all the hurtful things that we do. And this is what is so amazing to me that he still made us. See, we make kids, what do they do? They mess, they drool, they burp, they poop, they do all of these things. And then when they get older, they take our money. And then when they get older, they use our cars. And sometimes they might even wreck our cars. But guess what? We still love them. Are we crazy? Yes. No. Why is that? Well, it's because, well, even in all of our imperfections as a parent, we still love them. See, God put that fatherliness, he put that capacity in us, that when you create something, you want to love it. The Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say that love is God. It's not the same thing. It says God is love. There's a big difference. It'd be like saying it's the difference between that dog is a girl or that girl is a dog. I mean, it's, it's, it's really that different. Because God is love. It's the essence of his being. That's, that's who he is. And the Bible says that every one of us in this room, everyone in this community, everyone in this world was made to be loved by God. God knew everything, loved ones, that we would do in advance, and he still said, I'm going to make them because I love them, and I want to establish an experience and have a relationship with them. I've been deeply, deeply challenged in the last few months in my own personal life with this whole concept of really understanding God's love and what it means for me. I've been, I've been studying missionaries for about three months. I've been listening to stories and reading stories about them. 
I've, been, I've started this trek on kind of studying and reading about and listening about men and women who have made a significant impact in the 20th century and into the 21st century for the cause of Christ. And every one of them sacrificed and paid a price that very few of us, surely I don't understand. And sometimes when I have a tendency to begin to think, boy, whew, whoa, I've really sacrificed for the gospel, I just want to go, are you kidding me? And it's really been good for me because it's begun to shape me in different ways. I was listening about a missionary who served in Panama some, a, couple of, a couple of decades ago. He went back for the 75th anniversary celebration of this church. And when he returned, he was with this group of, of people and, and he went to the church and he saw that it was now raised up on blocks and it was all run down and it wasn't fixed. And people looked around and they said, oh, well, we just, we just can't afford it. And he says, well, how much was it? And they said, well, it's $200. And so one of these traveling pastors that was with him said, well, you know what? I'll pay for this. I'll pay for that. I don't want these people to not have a nice church. I don't want them to have a church that they can't go to. And the pastor was telling the story. He says, you know what he realized? The pastor that just said he would do that, you know what he makes? He makes five bucks a day. It'd take him a couple of months to be able to pay to fix that church. But he said, I will, I will give that. Missionary was continuing to tell the story about while he was there. He was, <clears throat> he was there for this convention, the 75th anniversary of, of the, the Panamanian church with the, with the four-square gospel. And he said that 25 pastors had come from within the Panamanian jungles. And after one of the service, he was walking with 25 of these pastors, and, and they were walking along, and they just kept walking through the city. And finally, he says, well, where, where do you go? Where are you staying? Where are you going to go home? He goes, well, we, we, we don't know how we're going to get home. He says, well, what do you mean you don't know how you're going to go? He says, well, we spent all of our money to get here. We don't have a way to get home, so we're just going to trust God. He goes, well, how much does it cost to get home? He says, well, it's going to cost $10 a piece. And he knew that it was about a two-and-a-half-day boat ride to get back to the jungles where most of them come from. And so it's going to cost him 10 bucks. And he also knew this, that on those boats, a lot of times, they would, they would usually fit about 80 people, but they would cram to make more money, about 200 people on there. And it wasn't unusual for these boats to, to, to sink. People die, they drown. And he says, well, listen, guys, I just want you to know, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll pay the 250 bucks. All of you will get home. And so they're walking down this street, and, uh, and he realized these guys probably haven't eaten for a couple of days, or at least a day or two, because they, they've spent all their money here. And he says, they come to this McDonald's. And he goes, have you guys eaten? They go, no, sir, we haven't, Pastor. And so he takes them into McDonald's, and he buys them a cheeseburger and a fries and a and a Coke, and then a little ice cream. And after they're done, he's sitting there, and one of the pastors comes up to him, and he says, Pastor, I just, I can't even tell you, I can't thank you enough for bringing us here to, to, to eat at McDonald's. And he goes, well, yeah, well, you're welcome. He goes, you know something? People where I come from, you know what they would do if they ever got to the city? They would go by a McDonald's. They would, out of the garbage, they would take a McDonald's cup, and they would take it home and set it on their shelf so that their friends and neighbors would think that they actually would have got to go to McDonald's. Can you believe that? That's what these people are doing. These guys are in the jungle. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we hear stories like that. We think, oh, wow, you know, they're just little Panamanian back jungle people. No, they are treasures of God that God loves. And God said, I love you, and I want you to be built up in the things of my life. Can I tell you why they do that? Because they're treasures of God. But more than anything, they understand the care and the love of God. I mean, I'll bet those guys would have swam to that conference. See, what causes people to do that? What, what literally causes people to want to give their life for the cause of Christ? It's because they've experienced the love and the care of God. Listen, I, I don't, I don't want to condemn anybody, but I'll bet there's people in our church. Our church gives to missions, and I can't wait to share you some of the things that we're doing in the next few weeks. But I'll bet there's probably, it's potentially people in our church that they spend more on Starbucks in a month than they've ever given to the church or they've ever given to missions. And I think it's probably because our bell hasn't been rung by the deep love of God. See, we think, well, it's probably pretty easy for them. I mean, they're a third world country. They're poor. They don't know anything else. So I don't think that's necessarily true. I just sat with a young person recently, and we were talking about some things of importance in their life. And this young man said to me, he goes, you know, I bought this car, and I could afford it. But I just, I just felt it wasn't right. He didn't say guilt. He didn't use the word guilt. He just said, I just didn't feel like it was right. I could afford it. It was a great car, something kind that I really kind of always wanted, but I just didn't feel right about it. So he ended up taking it back to get a less expensive one because he said, you know something? Every time I get in that car, I think like this. Here I am. I've got all of this stuff, all of these things in my life. And there's people out there that have nothing, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What motivates a young man to do that? I think it's the love and the care of God that one experiences. See, we're learning. He, when, when you, when, this is what I'm learning. When, when, when we understand God's love and the depth of his care for us, little else matters. See, that's why one of the things I, I just as I've been journaling about these missionaries and some of these missionary stories and some of these pastors that I'm reading about. That's why I love to journal. Just this last week, I come across Psalm 73, 1. It says, surely, surely God is good. Surely God is good to Israel. And so I love to, in my own writing, so it, it kind of like it goes from here to here to hopefully here. Surely God is good. Surely God is good to Creekside. Surely God is good to Terry. And I never want to forget that because that is the bell ringer of our life, loved ones. That will change the course of your life when you really begin to understand that. See, talk is so cheap. We can fill our lives with cheap trinkets and cheap substitutes. Uh, singles, you know, people, we, 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 they go out on dates and and they hear someone sit across the table from them and say things like this, oh, I just love you. Oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're so handsome. Oh, I just love, love, love you. Can I just tell you something? If you're a single and you're looking to get married, understand what Christ is saying here. He's saying that Christ's love is the real deal. It is seen in actions. It's not 
just heard in someone's talk and their verbs. Singles, do this. Look for someone. If you're looking for someone to do life with and to marry, look for someone who's like Jesus, who will lay their life down for you, who will give you sacrificial love. And don't give yourself up. Don't give yourself over. Don't say yes to anybody that won't say, I will serve you. And not just say it, but over time, before you ever make the commitment, you'll be able to see that they really do love you and they will sacrifice for you and they will give to you like Jesus did. And then when you begin to see that, then you make sure that you reciprocate that, that you would know the love and the care of God. The second thing he talks about here is this breath of God's love for you, breath, just this. He says, "I, I hope you can get a hold of the breath, that really the dimensions, all these dimensions of God's love for you. And I kind of, as I've been working through this in my own life, I'm, this is really what I wish for Creeksiders. This is what I wish for our community in this year, that you would understand how much God loves you. Paul says this, I pray that you'll be able to feel and to understand how long, how wide, how deep and high this love really is. This love for yourselves. Notice he talks about, he says, the length of it. What does it mean? Well, the length, it's, it's long enough to last forever throughout eternity. See, the problem with human love is, is what? That it runs out. Isn't that why we have so many divorces today? It just kind of runs out, it diminishes, and it gets depleted. And then we begin to give up on love. Can I tell you something? It takes more for most people to make it through marriage, for a human marriage to last, than just simply this feeling of love. But there has to almost be this divine love that intersects and connects with our love that says, I'm going to love you like God does. I'm not going to give up on this thing. And that's the length of God's love. What's the width? God's God's love is wide enough to include everybody. I don't care who you are, where you've been. It says God loves you. And he wants to get to you. It's huge. No one gets marginalized in God's economy and his kingdom. There's nobody that he can't reach. There's nobody that he won't reach out to. I mean, it really is. It's, it's kind of like a mother's love. You ever notice mothers? I mean, they just love. They just love and love. I don't know if you saw the story on 2020 on Friday night, but it talked about, I believe it was, was it Eric Klebold that, one of the uh, murderers of Columbine. She went public for the first time and talked about her son and the relationship that she had. And all you could hear and see bleed through that interview was her love for her son. Oh, the brokenness that come from it. But that's how mothers are. Where do they get that? They get that from God. That's the width of God's love. The depth, his love can reach down to the, to the most depraved sinner, the most discouraged person. When you think that there's no hope for yourself or for someone else, God goes deep. He goes deeper. It's deep enough to meet your needs. When you're in deep despair, God's love is deeper. When you're deeply discouraged, God's love is deeper. When you're in the financial pits, the emotional pits, the relational pits, when you have health concerns, when you're waiting for a test result, that's when you need the power and the love of God in your life to say, I know, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the report, I know God's love is here. 
Notice these four dimensions, the length, the width, the height, the depth. It's really the four cross dimensions, how high you look up at Jesus, where he says, Father, forgive them. When you look at the width, his arms are outstretched. And where is it? It's deeply planted in the earth so that we can see the Savior. I don't even like to admit this, but the last couple of months, as I've just gone through this, I've been challenged again. And I feel like as I was just studying this this week and going through this, that the Lord's saying to me, you know what? You, you, you get it. You, you know the way I love. But TR, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love like that. And sometimes, you know, I think, well, man, I'm a pastor. I do that. And the Lord says, no, no, no. No, you don't. Would everybody around you really believe that you love like Jesus? And they go, I don't know. He says, that's how I want you to love. I, want, I never want people to look at you and to believe that the endurance of your love could run dry. I want it to be just like mine. And you know how I can do that? The only way I can do that is when I really am committed to and believe that God loves me that way. Not just in my head. Not just the data that I know in the Bible, but because I see it, I experience it. And loved ones, that's where every one of us has to come to, I believe. It's Valentine's Day. If I went home today and I said to Trina, oh, I just love you with all my heart. I want to do everything I can to make your life pleasant and happy and fulfilled. We'll start with a nice evening out tonight. I'll take you out to dinner to your favorite place. Don't you think it would be weird if she said, oh, really, that's nice, excuse me, I'm just watching TV and I'd rather do that. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? But you know, people come to church Sunday after Sunday. Maybe they do a Bible study on their own. Maybe they're involved in a Bible study. And somehow, somewhere, the love of God escapes them, the truth, the veracity of what God wants to communicate escapes them, and it's really the same thing. It's interesting that 30 years later, Paul says, I pray for this, for the church at Ephesus, that the love of God, it would be so high, so wide, so deep, that you would never miss it, but you would continually grow in it and experience it. 30 years later from this writing, if you go to the book of Revelation chapter 2, you know what it said about this church? John the Revelator writes to them, or he writes in Revelation, what does he say? He says, oh, I'm broken. You've lost your first love. And see, friends, it's so easy that even in the midst of, of whatever we face and experience that we can lose our first love, we can know so much about Jesus. We can learn so much, and that's so important. But in the process you can lose this ability to experience the love of God so that you can give it to other people. And one other thing that he says here is he says, I want you filled with his fullness. Fullness means fullness. Not half, not two-thirds, but he says, I want you filled with all the fullness of God. That his love will so fill us that, you know what, there's really no need for anything more. Paul's saying, I just want you to know God's love, the depths of it, that it just fills your life to the brim with him. Nothing more. 
And see, the idea of life is we're, we're so filled with so many things and we forget everything that he's done for us. Here's the question. When, when, would, you, would you do what, what God asks you to do because you're just so filled with his life? Would you do whatever he asks you to do? I mean, if he said, listen, I, you, you, I just want you to take your last gob of money in your pocket and I want you to give it to the missions or I want you to do this or I want you to go help. Would, would, would you do that? Could you do that? I mean, like these missionaries, they just say, you know what? We just want to hear from God, so we're going to go do this thing. And I don't know how we're going to get back. But we're just so filled with God's love. You know what the biggest thing is, is I, I deal with, I was in Southern Cal, not this week, but last week. You know what the biggest thing we're dealing with right now in churches? We can't find young people to plant churches. We can't find people that'll pastor. You know why? Because they're, 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 they're literally, they're just, and I don't say this meanly, I understand our culture, but they're just so, they want to be filled with so many other things. Well, what can you give me? How much? I mean, do I get this? I get that. Do I, are you going to give me this? And if we give it to them, you know what? They'll do it. But this is what we've learned. There's a lot of people that you'll give it to them. A lot of people will go start a church and you'll give them a full-time salary and guess what happens? When money runs out, it's amazing how God's will changes. And so we're trying to do all this and trying to figure it out and Lord, you know, as I'm studying these missionaries and these pastors that have made such an incredible difference in the 20th century and into the 21st century, you know what it is? Is they're just filled with Jesus. And you can't manufacture that. You can't manipulate that. It's just they're filled with his life and his love. One of the missionaries that I've been reading about is a guy named C.T. Studd. Don't you love that name? Charles Studd. I was, and I've been, uh, some of you are familiar with one of the present day guys I've been listening to and reading about because he, he's the guy that really, the, the Jesus generation back in the 60s in Costa Mesa, California, Chuck Smith, who passed away a couple of years ago. I've just been reading about his life and challenged by it. And he has this quote that he would always quote. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I was listening to a, an interview with him, and um, <clears throat> he quoted that, and I said, I want to find out who that was. Well, I went and found out, and it's by C.T. Studd, this guy that I've been reading about. Here's another quote by Studd. He says this, some want to live within, uh, some want to live within the sound of church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. <laughs> I love that, C.T. Studd. He was part of this group. It was called the, it was a group of seven, some of the finest cricket players in the world in 1884. They were brilliant and they were bright. They were men who were dubbed the Cambridge Seven uh, because six of those students, including Studd himself, went to Cambridge University and one of the others was from the Royal Military Academy. Uh, in 1885, they decided to become missionaries to China. And it was during this time, itinerating and stuff, that they were dubbed the Cambridge Seven. 
You'll see a picture up here of them, and they're in their Chinese garb as they were getting ready to go. Now, you have to understand this, especially Stud, but all of them. They were well-to-do. They come from influential, well-to-do families. And they decided to leave the privilege and the comfort to go to the mission field in China. It would be like this. It would be like Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors coming out of college and says, you know what, I really don't care about basketball. I'm one of the greatest, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to go serve China. It'd be like Cam Newton coming out of college and say, you know something, I'm going to say goodbye to my NFL career, and I'm just going to go give my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. One of his writings, he says, this last June at the mouth of the Conga, there awaited a thousand prospectors and traders and merchants and gold seekers. They were waiting to rush into these regions as soon as the government opened the door to them. For rumor declared that there was an abundance of gold. If such men hear so loudly the call of gold and obey it, can it be that the ears of Christ's soldiers are deaf to the call of God? And here I love this quote. Are the gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few? C.T. had his life mapped out for him. He had money. He influenced, but he said, no, I'm going to go serve my Savior, Jesus Christ, in China. One time, C.T. Studd was speaking at a conference. It was two to three in the morning, and one of the guys was with him, and he woke up and he saw C.T. Studd sitting in a chair over there in the corner of the room with a candle. And the candle was sitting down and he had his Bible and he was just feverishly reading it page after page. He watched him for about an hour in the middle of the morning. Finally, he said, C.T., don't you know it's, it's three in the morning? And so C.T. Studd, he looked at him. He said this, there's something between God and me. I don't know what it is, but I know it's in here someplace, and I'm not going to sleep until I find it. And I thought, you know something? That is a man who does what? See, when the love of God embraces your soul, loved ones, that's what matters. It's about the love of God for us that we would know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. And here it is. Will you surrender to that creator, Father, who loves you? Here's the deal. We get so caught up in Christianity about, is, you know, this sin or that sin or this or that. Here's, the, you know, here's what the real question is that I'm learning. It's not so much what I think it's ultimately what this book says. We're going to talk about this book either next week or the week after. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter if I agree with it. What matters is, will I submit to it? And will I surrender my life over to it? Because, see, that's what a person like these Panamanian pastors would do. That's what a guy like C.T. Studd would do. That's what a guy like Chuck Smith would do. You can't read about their lives and not know that they just say, I love God. And it really isn't about what I think or feel. It's about what he says. And I think Paul's reminding us here, you'll never break through. You'll never be a person who makes a difference until you really realize God loves you. He has the best for you. 
and he wants to fill your life with his. Now, you're probably saying, oh, boy, whew, oh, this is heavy. Now, I think you know me. I love to have a good time. I think you know. I'm not saying we can't have fun. I'm not saying we can't enjoy life. I do. I hope you know I do. I love to do things, and I, I have some nice things, but here's the deal. Is the love of God continually changing me, rearranging my priorities? Am I willing to surrender my life to what he says here? And are, is, is my life just being changed by what he says to me on an ongoing basis? Because Paul says, I want to pray for your strength. I want to pray for your love, and I want to pray for the fullness of God. I don't feel sorry for any of these Panamanian pastors. Because you know what I've learned whenever I go to Mexico, when I go to Trinidad, when I go to Nogales, Mexico. You know what I've learned? All of these people that don't have very much, they kind of feel sorry for us. They see us on our phones. They see us with all of our stuff. And they've never, I haven't heard it, heard, heard it said this way, but it's, do you have time for Jesus anymore? And here's the deal. You know what? Because of where we are, because of what we know, the truth is you and I have greater responsibility because we know more, because we have more. That's why it's not a very good idea to know the Bible very well. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. But you know what? The more you know, the more you're responsible for. And the more I'm aware that when I stand before Jesus, I've got an answer for what I've done. Because he loves me. And he cares for me. And that is not a guilt thing. That is simply a motivation. I became a better basketball player because I had coaches who cared for me. I became a better person because I had a wife who loves me. I become a better pastor because I have a church that loves me. And that's what Jesus does for me.